2: And I'm Mary Kitts Miller from Kemp, Texas, and you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for November 10th, episode 3057, Good Morning Horse World.
1: What is your favorite day of the week? You
2: never stop learning. You never stop understanding. It's more in-depth than just riding a horse. Knowing that for the rest of my life, I could work on this and, and I'll never stop learning.
1: Miller, we get together once a month and we chit chat about all things horse training how you doing not too shabby I am done with the
2: 80 degree winter it feels like a rainforest out here I'm ready for it to be cold and awful I I need it
1: <laughs> cold and awful. it is nice it's that whole absence makes the heart grow fonder thing about the time you're sick and tired of summer you really do need winter just to just to yeah for a change I feel bad about this, but I was the, I think I was the only one who enjoyed the heck out of the
2: Texas snowpocalypse. It was magical. Um, of course, I was one of the very few very lucky, fortunate souls that was still able to keep my electricity going, and I have a fireplace, so I didn't have to like run the heat like crazy. I was able to conserve energy and stay warm and cozy and not have to go to work. and it was beautiful in the snow. and i I don't want another snow apocalypse because that was not we were not built for that, but snow would be lovely right about now.
1: What did the horses think of the snow apocalypse?
2: They were pretty cool with it. They were pretty cool. Um, now one downside is I did have to break a lot of water. There was minor panicking involved cause I don't have water heaters and, um, you know, it's, it's something that, you know, do you invest in that and need it maybe every five or six years? Um, Yes, actually, the answer is yes on that. Uh, So, you know, a lot of hauling hoses in and out. Luckily, we have the heat control shop that we were able to put the hoses in at night. We did have to run some buckets to some of the water. So that was a little inconvenient, but the horses seem pretty good. I've got a bunch of Mustangs in my pasture. And even though they've been in Texas for years, they all still put on Wyoming winter coats in like August.
1: So they were good. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they're prepared regardless. Yes. <laughs> exactly. exactly. It up. Now, do you clip any of your Mustangs in the winter when the ones that you're using for work and stuff? Uh, no.
2: And the reason I don't show enough over the winter to make it a practical thing to do, then I'd have to go home and double blanket and all of this. Um, I will say it was slightly inconvenient. I just uh, got back from the, Stock Horse of Texas Association World Show with my Mustang, Remy. And we were the fluffiest horse by far uh, at the event. And so, yeah, it, it, we did look like a woolly mammoth showing. And it did get, we did get a cold snap there, so he would get a little sweaty. But then it was too cold to bathe. So I probably should have clipped him for that show alone because you don't want him to like have a damp coat and then they can't get properly clean and then it's cold, but he was okay. It wasn't, it wasn't too bad on the temperature front. I was able to get him dried off and safe and healthy.
1: That's Um, always a challenge, isn't it? When you leave a little fluff on and then you go to a show that is held indoors like that, because it's a real struggle. It's actually harder to get them to dry off in that indoor environment because it gets so humid than it would if you were outdoors.
2: Yeah. And it would have been okay if it was perfectly climate controlled in like completely enclosed and they had heated water. Cause then I would have just bathed them off and, you know, um, he, you know, he could cool off that way and I wouldn't worry about him taking hours and hours to dry in the cold. Uh, but because it was really, you know, there was a little heat, but it was mostly just covered arenas. So It was warm enough that he'd sweat a little, but then he's got this coat, but then they didn't have cold water and the breeze is blowing through. So, yeah, it probably would have been worth uh, clipping him. And, you know, in the Western world, showing up with like a hunter clip or, you know, one of those uh, trace clips. that No uh, racing stripes. That would have been a. (laughs) <laughs> bit of a folk. They they don't care. They they want the cool thing about this association is they want like your horse to look like a working ranch horse. So they you don't have to have the hoof polish and perfectly trimmed noses and all of that. Um they wouldn't have judged me on it, but it would have been a little bit out of place.
1: You would have you would have felt self-conscious if you'd had a fancy racing stripe haircut. Yeah. I can see that. Just a titch, yeah. So it's either clip it all off or none of it. Yeah.
2: Or, um, what we do in like with, uh, when I worked in raining barns and stuff, we never clipped, we put lights on them and we had a big old temperature thermometer thing in the barn. And if it went, we had a protocol. If it's under 70 degrees, they get sheets. If it's under 60 degrees, it's sheets and blankets. And that's a pain in the butt this time of year to where in Texas, like today's going to be 80 degrees. Tomorrow's going to be a high of 50 degrees. So you're having to do a lot of oh they're starting to sweat under the blankets take the blankets off an hour yeah. later okay temperatures blo- drop but put the blankets back on but they you never yeah. have to clip which is nice
1: it's labor intensive though because it's not, if they're in the barn it's a little bit easier because you can just go pretty much on temperature but if the horses are out of doors at all it's the temperature the ambient temperature the amount of sunshine whether or not you have a breeze it's incredibly labor intensive. To try to keep the coat beautiful without any clipping at all, and God bless anybody who keeps after that, because we would just clip the horses, just shave it off, we're done, put the blankets on, or uh, leave them completely fuzzy. Scooter, we give a, we give Scooter racing stripes because hello, we live in Florida, and he does get the Wooly Bear uh, coat. Every winter, despite the fact that his entire life has been lived in Florida, he was born here, his parents were born here. He still looks like a woolly bear caterpillar in the wintertime. So we just just shave a little bit off just so he doesn't overheat in the sunshine.
2: One of my worst jobs. I was working for this very large raining barn, and we had about seventy horses in training in the barn that all had to be blanketed. And we did shifts on. Okay, it's your turn to, you know, go back to the barn at like seven or eight at night when the temperature's dropping and do sheets and blankets. And I am a big baby and terrified of the dark. And the barn was kind of out in the woods, isolated. So I'd call like my dad. Um, in Oklahoma, and I'd be like, Hey, what's up? And he's like, You're at the barn again, aren't you? I'm like, yeah, yeah. But I just wanted to say hi. And, you know, while I'm do- I had to talk to someone while I'm doing all these blankets, and I was really okay out in the middle of nowhere in the dark doing this until like the last blanket. And then I'm like trying to fumble with the buckles before I run out to my car
1: freaking out. So yeah. So one of the jobs I had in my 20 somethings, I worked at a small barn in Pennsylvania. And we had all, a variety of horses. We had horses that fox hunted. We had show jumpers. We had kids, ponies, all sorts of things. It was a small barn, but there was a wide variety of horses there. And she did things a little bit different than I had ever come across before. Now, this was before the denier nylon waterproof blanket was commonplace. This At this point in time, it's ancient history. There were... One company that made a waterproof blanket that was made of nylon. Everybody else, if you wanted a waterproof, it was the old-fashioned Australian turnout blanket made of waterproofed canvas. Mm -hmm. So the horses tended to not go out when the weather was rainy because they really weren't all that waterproof. (laughs) But when they were in the barn, she did it a little bit different. We always had, if if your horse needed two layers of clothing, they had a sheet and then they had a blanket. She did it the reverse. Well, not even in the reverse. She made sandwiches. The horses, every horse in the barn had what, what I called their fitted sheet. They had a sheet that went on their body. That's what touched their body. And if they needed more clothing, it went on top of that. But if they needed a blanket, they got a blanket. And then they got another sheet on top of the blanket so that when they laid in the poop in the stall, the blanket stayed clean.
2: Oh, that's clever.
1: Yes, I had never come across this before. I'm going, oh my gosh, where's this been all my bo- all my life? Because back in the day, now everybody just uses turnout blankets for everything. But back in the day, you had the big, fluffy, seriously heavy um, staple blankets. And when they got poopy, the only, they were nearly impossible to clean because they were made of this really super heavy stuff. They weren't filled with fluff. So have you ever done it that way where you had... The layer that touched the horse, because that was easy to wash. It was thin. And then you had the warming layer in the middle. And then we had the let it get dirty, rolling in the crud layer on top, which was also thin, so that it was easy to wash.
2: Unfortunately, at the barns I worked at, we didn't. Because those horses did not get
1: turnout like they ought to have. Um And... It wasn't the norm back in the day either. You know, I don't yeah. think, I don't think show barns and and show strings saw the value of turnout the way we do today. It was a different point of view.
2: Yeah, the only turnout these guys got. Now, you know, we had like broodmares and and other horses that were out and they were we let them get fluffy and they were out on pastures and it was idyllic for them, but the show horses that have to be pristine, the only turnout they got, we had one of those Um, walkers where you turn them loose and there's two like fence panels that push them around Mm -hmm. and um, they would go out on that, which is a poor excuse for turnout, but it'd give them a little exercise and let them blow off some steam. Um, But it was terrifying because I'm leading these three-year-old studs and they know where they're going. They know they're going to get to jump and buck around in this thing. And it was always a game of, uh, get the halter off and run out of there before they turn around and kick you. And I did <laughs> um I did get kicked pretty hard in the back once uh for that and had to take myself to the emergency room. Um yeah it was it was good times. Um and they were not sympathetic.
1: That was being an assistant
2: trainer is really hard. That's a that
1: could be a whole other show. <laughs> <laughs> I could I could do a whole show just on how not to turn a horse out. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Al, what not to do? What yeah, not to do? Yeah, yeah. that's a, that's another one. Um, yeah. So we'll we'll save those for different shows. We will move on to our training chat for the day because every every month we have a training chat. And every month it's inspired by something. So what is our topic today, and what inspired it?
2: Uh, so nothing magical or profound really inspired this. It was just something I was working on last night and I thought, you know, a lot of people like to learn about this. And I don't know if I've covered this on the show before, but it's always a good thing to come back to. And that's teaching your horse to meet you at the mounting block. Um, I think I've talked about mounting block stuff, but I don't think I've ever gone over like how exactly I do it. And I'm actually thinking of making this a two-parter over two shows because there's two methods that I use. Um, one method is kind of teaching it like a trick. It's very methodical and you do step one, step two, step three, and you're essentially giving, you know, the end product is you're giving your horse a cue and then they swing their butt over and line up perfectly in the mounting block. And that's pretty fun one to teach. Um, but the one that I love to teach is my favorite for many reasons is, um, my, what I would call my colt starting version of it. So I like to do a lot of mounting block work with my baby horses that have never been ridden before because it's a way for them. uh, While I don't get on the mounting block for the first ride, I teach them to do it before I put the first ride on them so that they get used to seeing you from up high. And if they freak out about it, you're on a mounting block. You're not on them. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's just one little thing you can do to get them ready for that first ride. And because when I start teaching this, this, these horses don't have a whole bunch of buttons on the ground. It's, you know, a lot of times it's a Mustang that was just halter broke last week. Um, So you need very little to teach it. And there's not there's not even really any steps to it. It's all about feel and timing. Um, The prerequisites that I like to have on my horses to teach this. um, You want some basic understanding of desensitization. Um, but I want to be able to at least, uh, yield my horse's hindquarters. It doesn't have to be perfect, but they need that concept of, if I, you know, if I wave my hand at this area of your body, you can move it away. Um, they need to be able to come forward on the lead rope. So if I pick up the lead rope and put a little tension in it, they can walk forward. Um, and a little bit of shoulder control doesn't help. It doesn't hurt either. So if I tip their nose to the left or right, they just follow that feel and walk that way. So none of these has to be a perfect textbook showmanship maneuver. They just need to understand how to follow the feel of a halter pretty much. Um, So what I start doing is I will get on the mounting block. Sometimes even just me standing on the mounting block from a distance takes a little getting used to, but if they're okay with that, um, I will stand on the mounting block and I like to have a nice long lead rope to teach this with. So if they move 10 feet away, I still have a hold of them and it's not a big deal. I'm using a 14 foot lead rope at the moment. Um, And I will just gently send the horse back and forth in front of me while I'm standing on the mounting block. So I pick up the halter. Let's say I'm asking him to go to the left. So I kind of point to the left while putting a little tension on the halter and I ask them to go forward. And when they walk past me, then I tip their nose toward me and ask them to yield their hindquarters away. Uh, So I'm not like trying to pull them to the mounting block. All I'm doing is saying, hey, just go back and forth. And this alone, it lets them see you out of both eyes while you're standing up high. And for some Mustangs, that's a lot right there to accomplish. And so that's all I do is I just start going, I just tell them, hey, go go to the right, now yield your hindquarters, now go to the left, now you're doing your hindquarters and right and left and right and left. And as they are comfortable, um seeing me and they're moving freely with their feet, then I just shorten up that lead rope a little bit and ask them to do it a little bit closer to where, you know, they were just walking right beside the mounting block, yielding their hindquarters, then going the other way, walking past the mounting block, yielding their hindquarters. And then what I'll start doing is I'll start releasing any time they even smell like they're getting near the mounting block. So I'm not looking for a perfect, you need to stand exactly here by the mounting block. I'll just, for instance, I'll ask my horse forward a couple steps and when they get near the mounting block, I stop everything and I release. If I can reach out and pet them from that distance, I'll pet on them and say, hey, that was really good. And you know, I'll, then I'll pick up the lead rope again and ask them to come forward a little bit more, a little bit more. Sometimes I can do this and have the horse just walk Forward, forward, forward till they stop right at the mounting block. And that's great. And as soon as they do, I pet all over their neck and I tell them they're good. I make sure I'm not pulling on the halter, having any pressure on them. Um, Some horses will stop there for a second and go, this is too scary. And they'll yield their hindquarters away from me because they're like, I don't want to, I don't want to stand next to you like that. Um, So if they do that, I just, okay, I ask them to come back around and do it again. And again, there's no specific step or button I'm pushing. I'm just telling myself, what, what do I need to do to get my horse positioned where I want him? Um, And if I think that in my mind, I just imagine the horse coming forward and going exactly where I want my hands tend to magically communicate that to the horse. So I just pick up the lead rope and ask for any kind of movement. Maybe the horse needs to come forward. Maybe they need to um, back up a little bit. Maybe they need to kick their hindquarters one way or the other. Maybe they need to move their shoulder. But I just pick up and I just real gently just kind of put a little bit of energy in that lead rope. Um, and if they, even if they lean toward the direction I'm wanting them to go, I release. Um, so I'm looking for tight little steps millions of tiny correct answers. Um and I do this over and over again and pretty soon the horse knows from where I'm releasing them where the sweet spot is. They know, oh, when I put myself over here, that's when things are good. And you I I have never not had a horse do this great in the first session. By the end of the first session, they know stand next to the mounting block and that's where everything is good. And you know, and again, in addition to the release, I pet them all over. I love on them. If it's a horse that I'm using treats with, I'll, you know, throw them a little treat and say, Hey, that was really good. And, you know, the first lesson you do this, you may have to do a lot of back and forth to get them where you want. But usually by the end of the first se- session or the second session, I will just pick up that lead rope in a certain way and they just perfectly line themselves up. And the reason this works so well is I'm not. Overly concerned with them getting it perfect. I do not demand that they do it perfectly right away. I'm rewarding thousands of tiny little steps. I'm keeping it extremely low energy. The whole point of this is to make this a good place to be. So I'm not I, I'm using as little pressure as possible. I'm letting them take their sweet time to respond. I don't have to respond right away as long as they're trying. Um and I, uh, you know, I just if you think in terms of making the mounting place the best place in the world to be, and you do that from the start, that's your first lesson around the mounting block. Those horses will crave the mounting block. They'll drag you to the mounting block. Remy, once I get on him, he's like, I'm not leaving the mounting block. And uh not until he gets his <laughs> cookie. He loves
1: the mounting block. And oh it's God. really just as simple as that. So I'm curious because I have not ever started a Mustang and probably not started a f- well, some sources that were minorly feral, but that was a bazillion years ago and things were so different for me back then. Would that process very, very much if you were working with a horse that was not brand new to human contact, some horse that just had no idea what a mounting block was, but he was a a horse that had been ridden for some number of years, would the process or where you started change at all?
2: Nope, not really. Um I would I would pretty much start every horse from that point. Some horses um will get it really quickly because they've seen people from that height before they've been ridden. Um but as far as like the steps I'm taking and how I release and how I ask, it's all the same um and actually domestic horses that have had some mounting block experience and maybe have grown to not like getting mounted or be near the mounting block can be a little bit more challenging because they have all this baggage around it that you need to kind of dissipate um so those horses are really good at the lineup perfectly to the mounting block and then they'll kick their hindquarters away at the
1: last second like ha ha I've tricked you. You and, see that so uh, often people lead their horse yes. to a mounting block and they go over there and they step up onto it. And then the horse probably takes a step sideways away from the mountain.
2: Yeah. Block. <laughs> and what most of us, including myself will do, cause we're so focused on, I want to get on a ride. Dang it. Uh, you'll stretch as far as you can and do every yoga move possible to like, just crawl on your horse anyway. Like, Oh, come on, we're just going to do this. Um, but you'll just make the issue worse and worse and worse. And so I'm like, no, you, we're not done until uh, you are where I want to. And then when you do get there, I'm going to reward the heck out of you and make you feel really good about it.
1: There we go. I want to I want to teach Nigel this, not because I necessarily want him to come to a mountain block. I use the mounting block every time I get on. If I ever have to get off my horse in the desert, I'm SOL because I can't get back on without one. Yeah, and he he walks he walks up to it just fine. He stands perfectly still. It it all works great. But I want to teach him to do it as an exercise because I want to teach him that if I stand a, in a when I stand in a spot and I give him a cue that he will move his body directly towards me, which he will not do. He'll move away from me in every way, shape, or form. He'll move his whole body. He'll move his front. He'll move his back away. Is great, but he struggles with towards. He just gets completely flustered because what he'll do is he'll take a he'll take a step towards me or away from me in some way, shape, or form. And then he just loses his marbles. He can't, he can't focus at all. So I'm going to use those long lines and I'm going to use that mounting block. So I have a target to train towards so that he can learn that he can take a step towards me. And it might make sense to him because he understands, oh, mounting block, I stand there to get on. And maybe it'll help him make that connection that getting closer to a human is okay versus no, you move away from human beings so that you don't step on them.
2: <laughs> yeah, it it, it it is crazy how it works because even though, so the second method I do, I do specifically take steps to say, this is how you move your hip toward me. Um, that one I like people to tackle after doing this one because I, um, Oddly enough, even a horse that's very frightful of moving in towards a person, you teach this to them once or twice, and they're like, I love this." And then they, if you're not careful, then any pressure you put on them, they're like, swing my butt right into you? Okay. And you have to be very careful about yes. the difference between this means come toward, this means go away. Yes. And you need to be clear. I Yes. I learned that early on, you know, the cool thing in groundwork for a while, everyone was teaching their horses to side pass toward them on the ground, which is, it looks so cool. But, um, then you're in a issue of you tap on your horse and say, Hey, move away a little bit. You're standing on my toe and they're like, lean more into you. Okay. And it's it can get a little confusing. So, um, so the second method, uh, and I'll definitely go into that in the next show, is really cool and precise, and it ends up looking like a neat little trick. But the first method, even though I'm not specifically saying move your hip toward me, they tend to connect the dots and know this is how I'm supposed to stay on the mounting block. This is where I'm supposed to be. So if their hips away from you, they're like they'll just start clocking it right toward the mounting block and parking exactly where they should be.
1: Yeah, then let's go over that one next time. That's going to be interesting, and yeah. hopefully, I will have time to toss the long lines on Nigel a couple of times and see if I can't get him to to take a step or two. Because he'll do, when I have long lines, I can move his body around just fine. But trying to get him to just do it because I ask him to. So we'll see how far down that road I get between now and the next time we do a show. <laughs> Don't it yeah, won't be very far, folks. Do. Don't get your hopes up. <laughs> <laughs> that's how interesting is that yes it's because and and take video of it because everybody knows that horses walking up to the mounting block and placing themselves in the right place while you get on every every video in the universe that has that goes viral so everybody do it
2: yeah i was actually thinking of filming one myself because i've done it so much now that to me it's not a big deal but when people see it they're like oh my god and i'm like it's really easy actually so yeah
1: There we go. Well, before we get to our guest, Jeff Cook, who is one of the Mustang Magic competitors, he's going to come on and talk to us a little bit about how his student is coming along. We need an update on your little mare. Give us give us a quick background and then let's talk about how she's doing.
2: OK, so I got a little mare and I can't get a name to stick with this horse. So she's Mustang Magic mare still Um and she's from Idaho. She's my Mustang magic draw. And, um, she's been a lot of fun to train. She is progressing in her training, but I have decided to drop out of the competition with her. And the reason for that is, um, one, I have not gotten on her yet, <laughs> which, uh, with the competition in January coming up, we're getting a little down to the wire. Um, But I don't feel that I can, at this point, get her doing everything she needs to do safely enough to do the competition. Um, She's a really sweet horse. And every time I work with her, she's trying her very best to do exactly what she ought to. Uh, But she does have a very real fear issue that I haven't been able to tackle quite yet. Um, so she, uh, halter trading her super easy, got the halter on her right away. Um, got her defense test to some stuff right away. She's really okay with it. Uh, when it came time to things up over her back and, you know, behind her eyes and ears, that's where she was like, oh, I don't think so. I don't like this. Um, so she had quite a phobia with the saddle pad with the saddle, um, with, you know, me being up there, you know, doing the mounting block stuff. And again, she doesn't, she's not an outlaw. She doesn't try to buck, kick, bite, strike, nothing like that. But she's just standing there like, I'm so scared. And just her, her muscles are so tight. So I've been working really hard on just getting her to let down and relax because it's not good enough for me that she does the thing I ask, simply just doing that. I don't want her to do it if she's standing there trembling.
1: Well, see, and Um, that's very interesting that you made that observation because when a horse either puts up with something or is able to perform a task, but they're doing it because they feel like they have to, not because they want to. In other words, I'm doing it, but what you're doing what you're doing if you were to just continue on your blithely down that road. Okay, she's doing it next step. She's doing it next step. She's doing it next step. But disregarding her state of mind while she's doing these things, that's when you end up with the horse sometimes years down the line that that you say, oh, there's holes in the horse's training because those tasks or those skills were not thoroughly absorbed they were done because the horse felt it had to and what you're doing there is you're taking advantage of of those observational skills and saying you know we're going to we're going to slow this down and we're going to get through these things so that 6 months a year 10 years from now you don't end up with a horse with a giant hole in their training that suddenly moves their marbles
2: which, you know, unfortunately you hear it all the time. My horse is fine, he's never done anything wrong, and then out of nowhere. And I can tell you it it often looks very much like it was out of nowhere. And it kind of is, but it really wasn't. You know, there's this has been bubbling under there for a while. And I can see that with her. Her biggest um if she doesn't use her flight response, it's to freeze. And she knows that she gets release and reward for standing still for a lot of the things I do. So she's like, I should just do this. But I'm like, no, no, no. I I want you to like also be okay with it. And she'll stand there with her knees locked. And I could just see like in her brain, she's just going, la, la, la. It's fine. It's fine. Everything is fine. I'm like, no, no, It's, it's really Okay. Um, And those horses, they they try so hard to be so good and then they just can't anymore. Something will send them over and then now I have to react. And you don't want a horse to go from like locked in place to flight because it can be a bit explosive when they do react. Um, So she has been getting a lot better and I have called in reinforcements. Um, a friend of mine, local guy, self-taught cult starter, extremely talented. Um, and one of the things I like about, I've, I've had him be my crash test dummy a time or two. Um, cause I'm getting to the age where I'm like, I'm not getting on that. <laughs> and and he's, he has <laughs> no fear. He's like, yeah, I'll get it. But what I like, it, it's, it's hard to find this combination in a person who will just get on and ride, but also will stay out of their way and not cause any harm. Um, and he's really good at just staying quiet and invisible in that saddle. Um, and so, you know, I had him come out and observe, And he's like, oh yeah, she's going to be fine. like, really? Yeah. Okay. And he helped me um, get the saddle on her. I never have a problem saddling. I, it always knock on wood. I always have it go well. I can always get the saddle on really quick, get it going, have it not be an issue. But with this mare, for some reason, every red flag and alarm was going off in my head. Like, don't do it yet. Don't do it yet. Don't do it yet. And um, having him out there was really great because, and I've never saddled a colt this way ever. Um, but we did it to where I held the colt, I held her and he saddled her and it was perfect. And she, um, handled it great. She didn't buck nothing. She was really good. And at the end of it, he's like, oh, I could get on her. I'm like, no, <laughs> we just barely got this thing conquered. Um, but I did uh he did get on her and sit on her and pet on her and loved on her last night. And she was really good. So I'm really hopeful. And there is a small part of me now that I do have a rider on her that's like, well, maybe we can make the competition in time. I don't know. We're we're gonna take it at her speed. I'm gonna let her tell me what to do. But I'm very thankful to have someone that can also help and observe and um the way we'll do the first ride is I think perfect for her in that I will control what's going on on the ground and he just gets to be the passenger. So his only job is to stay in the middle and reassure her. So that's really helpful with cults like this to where if you're doing it by yourself, you have to get on and you're the driver and you also have to reassure them that you're not going to kill them. And you're trying to do all these things at once. And it can be a lot. Whereas, if I can have it set up to where someone on the ground is like, I'm still directing you, listen to me, pay attention to me. And the person on her back is just telling her it's okay. I'm up here, but you're going to be fine. I'm just going to sit here. It's going to be great. So we'll see how it goes.
1: It is, it is nice to have an assistant. Yes. Oh yeah. Yes. Back, back in the day when we broke horses, it was always when it got time to put a human being on top, it was always a two person operation. The person that had been doing Everything up until then, the training person stayed on the ground, and then we introduced an additional human, and they were what you what you just called the the crash desk tummy. Haven't uh, we didn't even it never occurred to us to put a giant teddy bear on a horse back then. But that way, the horse still had that consistency part. Everything hasn't changed. You know, you laid over the back, you did one step at a time, but it was always a two person operation until we could slowly transfer. The aids for stop, go, turn left and right, slow transfer those slowly into the human being on top. First, the person on the ground kept doing those, and uh, that, that's really interesting. So, speaking of extra help, we are going to get Jeff on the phone and chat with him about he how he's doing with his mayor. And then when we come back, I have a quiz question after after our guest. I have a quiz question for Mary. Oh, okay.
2: Okay, we're joined today with uh, Jeff Cook, who is a Mustang and horse trainer out of Arizona, and he is one of the competitors in the 2023 Mustang Magic competition that's going to be taking place in Fort Worth. Um, How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing good, thank you. How are you?
2: Not too bad, not too bad. Um, So you're no stranger to Mustangs, and you've done a Mustang competition or two. How many Mustang makeovers have you done?
0: Uh, I think this one will be 10. Oh, my gosh.
2: And uh, so this is your, have you, you did Mustang Magic last year. uh, So you've done a couple of these at least. Um, And for this event, uh, for people who don't know, this is an invitation only event. So they're inviting, you know, Mustang veterans, people who've done really well with the horses. uh, Because this is such a big and well attended event, they want to showcase like the best of the best. It's very competitive. Um, how is your horse doing for you so far?
0: Well, she's doing really well. In some ways, shes I think she's way ahead of the curve for the short time that we've had her. Um, she's very, very intelligent, but she's also really quick and has a bit of anxiety, so we, we have to deal with that some. But um, she's coming around. The more the more I can get her out and, and ride her in traffic and stuff, she's calming down quite a bit, bit now. But, um, yeah, she was a little fractious when we started.
2: She actually reminded me, I was just talking about the, my Mustang draw who I've decided to step out of the competition, but we're continuing training, um, watching your videos of her. They reminded me very much of each other of like really athletic, very sensitive, which can be wonderful things, but also yeah, fractious is the perfect word for it. Uh, so with this mare, what were some of the specific challenges you had and what did you do to overcome them?
0: This mare was particularly difficult right at first because she really didn't like people very much. Um, it was it was really hard for me to get a hand on her. Uh, I think it took five days or a week, something like that, before I really could even get near her and touch her and you know get a halter on her and stuff. So um, that was challenging for me. I feel like usually I'm a little bit further along in that. I've had some of these guys where I've rode them in the first four or five days. And, uh, you know, this one here, it was a good close to a month before I was able to ride her.
2: Yeah, that's, uh, you know, in the, in the span of, uh, things, you know, not not being able to touch one within the first week can seem amazing and getting on after a month can seem incredible, but for a Mustang makeover competition, you really need to be moving around, you know, along at a pretty good speed, um, you know, within what the horse is willing to accept, of course. Um, so yeah, I've had the same experience with mine. I was able to actually touch her and halter her right away, but I didn't saddle her till this week, which for me is like a very, very long time to not have a saddle on one. Um, and yeah, that can be really tricky with some of these horses. And and like you, I've had, I've had two that I rode the first day because they were just ready. Uh, they were so calm and tame that had me questioning, like, are you a Mustang? Have you been wild? <laughs> and, uh, and it just goes to show, even though all of the horses that we got for this competition, they're all similar age, they're all mares, uh, the people who pick out the horses have a very good eye and can tell looking at wild horses, what horses are going to be a a competition horse. It's still a huge uh, variable of how, uh, I guess, easy or difficult they can be to work with. So it sounds like our mares uh, were both very similar. And what I'm really interested to know is for me i had to eventually kind of pull the plug and say okay we're going to continue training i don't think it's going to be a competition horse what for you about your mare and the journey you've had together told you that this is this is going to be we're we're still good to go it's going to be great um what was the turning point for you
0: Uh, Really, as soon as I started getting a saddle on her and getting her ready to ride, she just came around really quick. Like she absorbs things in record time and teaching her something, it's kind of like if I show her something one time, she's got it. So she's really come quick. And and I think now I'm in a really good place. For a while, I thought I was behind and now I feel like I'm in a a pretty good spot where I'm at. Um, Another thing that I've had to do a little bit is, you know what? I kind of look at my makeover horses. I kind of pattern them after like a ranch Western pleasure horse. That's kind of what I would try to, to get them going as, you know, I want them quiet. I want them kind of slow. I want them, you know, in, the in the bridle. And um, I've had to kind of rethink it a little bit with her. She's more like a ranch riding horse or a reiner. She's quick, um, very quick footed, um, turns hard, stops hard. And doesn't have a lot of low range, low gears to her. So I kind of have to tailor it a little bit different for her.
2: And I've worked with a lot of uh, domestic horses that are very similar, reiners and cutters. And uh, what I have found is the horses that I, as a cult starter loved in the first three months, uh, horses that are like my Mustang Remy, where I'm like riding really early, things are clicking along really quick. Three to six months down the road, those horses tend to fall behind a little bit because it is difficult to say, hey, there's a cow in the arena. You should probably look at it and maybe try to work it a little. (laughs) Those horses are so quiet. He's like, I don't need to do anything with the cow. I I don't care. But the horses that like really had me pulling my hair out, putting the first few rides on. Cause I was like, Oh my gosh, what's going to happen. Those horses end up getting really, really fun three to six months in because they are so catty and so athletic. It is, you can t- all of a sudden that's where they catch up is they, it, it's really quick. They see a cow come in the arena and they're like, yeah, I should do something about that. <laughs> and you've got those rollbacks and all the cool maneuvers on them. Um, and uh, so that sounds really cool. So the difference between ranch pleasure and a ranch riding horse, I think that's a really good analogy. Um, so what are some of the things skills you think are going to make her um, what do you think she's going to excel at when she's uh, both at the makeover and when she's finished with her training?
0: Well, I think she could do the um, the 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 ranch uh, ranch type work uh, as a show horse you know she could do the ranch riding the ranch pleasure the the reining the cow work um she's really cowy uh we've had her on some cows i did a a gather with her the other day where i rode her for 8 hours straight i mean we we gathered this giant section and then we had to sort calves and um she was really tough and and um, busted through the rocks like they were nothing you know everybody was looking at my barefoot horse and couldn't believe she was barefoot, climbing over all that stuff, rocks and ditches and and all that, chasing cows all day and um, didn't get tired, man. She still had plenty of juice at the end of the day. So, you know, a ranch horse type thing like that, um, maybe a speed event horse, if somebody wanted to run barrels or poles or something like that on her, she's going to be really a quick, quick, hard turner and she's very fast. So, you know, those are pluses, it's just a little bit different than the kind of horses that we... Uh, typically bring to the makeover, but I think, I think she'll be all right. I think she'll hold her own.
2: Very cool. And, you know, one of the challenges in prepping for these makeovers is you obviously want to um, get them to have all of their basic skills and be ready for a new home. And on top of that, you're trying to get them Uh, set up to win or compete uh, be really competitive in the preliminary classes, which for those of you not familiar with the makeover, they have a handling and conditioning, which is an in-hand class. There's like a ranch pleasure type class where you're showing, showcasing the different gates, um, On the rail, and then there's kind of a ranchy trail type class. So, that in and of itself is a lot of work. But then, if you make the top 10, you've got to whip out a cool freestyle to put everyone else to shame. And one thing I like to ask trainers, because uh, I think everyone's got a bit of a different process, when you start with the source, did you have it uh, in your head what you were going to do for your freestyle? Is that something you're working on? Do you have a plan? I know some people save it for the last and some people know exactly what they're going to do first day.
0: Yeah, I usually know pretty pretty early on what like the music that I'm going to use if I pick out a song that I really like to ride to and I can make a show of it you know I'll pick that out pretty early and then kind of tailor it to what this particular horse is good at you know they're they're all they're all good at some things and I want to feature the things she's good at and Hide the things she's not good at, you know. In a in a freestyle, that's the the funnest part. Is that really nobody knows what you're going to do. So, if they take off and they run a little bit, you just make that part of the show, you know. And and um, so we're just going to kind of see what I, I got a few couple of tricks that she can start doing. She's she's getting good at that, but mainly I think I'm going to try to just show off her athleticism through the um, through the music and a couple of props.
2: Cool, cool. That's going to make really it exciting. that part.
0: You're right. The the, the big thing is you got to get there first. And I think sometimes, you know, we worry so much about the the freestyle part that we might forget that they kind of need to be a show horse to be able to make that top 10. And especially in this one in, in Mustang Magic, when there's 30 really good trainers in there.
2: Yeah, yeah. Again, it's gonna be incredibly competitive. And I tell you what, with those freestyles, there's nothing more heartbreaking than seeing someone who's brought in this huge, enormous prop and then for whatever reason, just bad luck, they don't make the top 10. And uh it it, it is kind of scary. You've gotta be prepared to have something show stopping. But you also might not be able to ever showcase it. And that's what makes it, I think, really nerve wracking and challenging and fun. And um, I think it's a good idea to, like you said, get your horse broke and get them ready to show. And then you can wo- weave all of those skills you've been working on into a really cool freestyle. Um, So as far as working with Mustangs, how have they shaped Um, What you're doing as a horse trainer, I I assume you train domestics as well. Um, Has that changed anything about how you're working with horses in general?
0: I I do train domestics. Probably the biggest push, though, is, is the Mustangs. I have more Mustangs than anything else, and that's kind of what my niche is. Um, I find that when I get these quarter horses in and stuff that I start, they're usually pretty easy. I I think that's what the Mustangs give me is this, um, it's, they're so challenging, especially in those first couple of weeks. And, and then somebody brings you a, a super domestic quarter horse colt and you're throwing a saddle on him day one and riding him the second day. And, you know, it just doesn't, it just is a lot easier to, to deal with that. So I think the Mustangs teach you that, um, you know how to handle the the tough ones, the 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 spooky, jumpy, you know, quick ones.
2: Yeah, it, it's almost a double edged sword because I noticed myself getting more timid with the cold starting aspect of things, and then I had to sit and think, like, wait, I've only been doing mustangs. Uh, colt starts on mustangs lately um and i've had the same experience you get like especially you know a really well-bred quarter horse that kind of goes around and then looks at you like in the ramp and like okay you can saddle me now i'm like really hmm. is it it's gonna be that easy and even the i've had some you know horses from the sixes that i've started and these horses are almost treated like mustangs they're on hundreds of thousands of acres and While they're, you know, they do have their feet done and vaccines and everything, they're pretty much feral and uh, they're only sort of kind of halter broke. But even those horses, you know, once you get your hand on them, they're like, oh, yeah, we're cool. And some mustings I've had are like that, but you know, there's a good chunk of them that are like the one that I'm messing with now, where I have to earn it. Every square inch of her that I touch that has never been touched before, she lets me know. She's like, "You've never touched me behind my ear like that," and I'm going to let you know about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it makes you really quick on your feet and very thankful for some of those domestic starts. But I think ultimately, a better horse trainer.
0: Yeah, um, and I I think sometimes too that those the the ones that are really challenging can end up being kind of your better horses too. Especially uh, like a, a mare like I have here, uh, my magic mare is a little bit um, you know she's shy and 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 doesn't trust real easily, and so she wants to stick to me like glue, and and that can be a really good thing. You know, I I, I like to have that that connection. And you don't always get that with that horse that's big and brave and bold. You know, he's kind of does his own thing.
2: One of my favorite phenomenons I've seen with these makeovers is there's, you know, it's happened to me and and others where you have a horse that was real difficult, really made you work for it. And some people have shown up to these things and they've only got 20 rides on that horse. And you're kind of like, God, are we even going to be able to get in the building? Like, is this going to be okay? And those horses tend to get to that event and they sort of look around and then look at their person and go, you're the only one I know here. So I'm putting all my trust in you. And they buckle down and show like a rock star. And I I think if you can earn a horse's trust, that horse's trust, they really put their whole heart into your hands. And it's, it's, uh, it's an amazing, amazing experience to have. And another reason why Mustangs are really cool to work with. Um, do you have it? I know people get really attached to their horses. I'm one of them. I tend to really like the horse I'm working with at the time. And um, do you have any thoughts on maybe buying her back at the end of the competition?
0: Um, We'll see. I I really always treat it as that I'm going to protect my investment. So, I look at every horse that I bring that I'm probably going to end up buying them back because, you know, chances are if they go through the auction and they sell for, you know, $2,500, we get to buy them for half of that. So, you know, if I buy this horse back for 1250 I know I can sell her for a lot more than that back home. So I kind of look at them that way. So I've brought a lot of them home. Um, I've only ever kept one and he's still here and, and he'll stay with me forever. But I do feel like they, they all have the potential of coming back with me. And the couple of times when I had to leave them at the show, it was like heartbreaking. I couldn't believe I was, was leaving them there. Um, I had a Mustang magic mare a couple of years ago that fortunately I got to put her in Nate Iker's trailer. So that made me feel a little bit better than just, you know, dropping her, you know, leaving her there, watching her go um, off with somebody else
2: yeah, yeah. And you know Nate's one of those. he's he's won several makeovers, and it's and he's someone that you know and you know understands mustang. So that had to yeah. open. Had have been a relief and I, yeah, that's, it. it's, it's a little scary with, you know, sometimes you show up to this event and, you know, a stranger goes home with the horse that you've been training and it, it's hard to let them go. And, you know, you want to make sure that they're going to be okay and it's going to be a good fit. So I totally understand about not only protecting your investment, but, you know, making sure that horse is going to land in the best place possible. And, um, yeah, I've done that a time or two. Um, so if, People would like to follow your progress with your mayor, or they want to learn a little bit more about you and your training and what you do. Uh, where's the best place to find you online?
0: Well, they can find us on Facebook uh, a couple of different ways. My business name is Dream Horse AZ, so Dream Horse Arizona. Uh, we have a Facebook page for Dream Horse AZ, and then I have my own Facebook page also, Jeff Cook. Uh, most of it's horse stuff that I don't, I hardly put anything else on there, but horses. So, uh, there is that. And then we're also, um, at dreamhorseaz.com. So you can just find our website through that. And we're pretty easy to find. We have a pretty big Facebook presence. It tr- does drive a lot of business towards us.
2: Yeah. What did we do before Facebook? I think we used newspapers or something.
0: don't <laughs> Yeah. Word of mouth, I guess.
2: Yeah. Um, Awesome. Well, I'm really excited to see how your mare continues and best of luck at the competition. I know that you will do great. You're going to bring a great horse. Um, And hopefully I will see you there, even though I'm not competing.
0: Well, thank you, Mary. Yeah. I hope to see you there too. I was very disappointed to see that you were out and a couple of the other trainers that I'm pretty surprised. I mean, I think there's four of my top tenors that I picked that are already out. So, um, it it makes it easier on some of those of us that are left over, but it's never easy. So, um, I hope, I hope to see you there.
1: Conversation and speaking of great stuff, want to tell you a little bit about one of our sponsors today, Horseware. Horseware would like to introduce the new Rambo Autumn Series. Yahoo! Rambo Autumn Series is ideal for use in those trans-seasonal weather patterns. We've got plenty of those all over the country. Reduce the need to change your horse's sheet during unpredictable weather with the technical turnout. Lightweight, waterproof, and highly breathable hybrid fabric applications combine technical soft shell, durable 900 denier polyester, and mesh panels across the chest and shoulder area to promote superior circulation. The Autumn Series Turnout has all of the quality and waterproof conduct construction that you have come to love from Horseware, and it has a 100-gram liner to stretch its usability even further, and it is available in sizes 66 through 88. You can learn more about the Autumn Series rugs at Horseware.com, or you can ask for them by name at your local tech retailer. Was lovely to chat with. It was nice of him to come by. Yeah. Yeah. So, quiz question, and this was inspired by me. I had a I had a light bulb moment while we were talking about putting the first rides on your Mustang. When you first start a horse, talk me through the girthing process because this always makes me squeamish. Every time I watch Colt starting competitions, I always get a little fractious and, and chew my fingernails. Putting the saddle on, putting the saddle off. That whole process makes sense to me. You start with a saddle pad or a towel, then you go to a saddle. But when you when it comes to putting the girth or the cinch on, that's an either it's on or it's not. Because putting the mm-hmm. cinch on and just barely letting it touch, that's not a good idea because then if they go a little bit fractious, things fly everywhere and it's bad. So talk to me about that process of the first time you actually put the cinch on. What does that look like? How does it work? What's the right way and wrong way to do it?
2: Ooh, this is a good question because this is where I am at my best. This is where I'm in the total zone. And it's almost an exhilarating process because you are balancing being on your toes and being wary and being aware of every bad thing that can happen while also being totally chill and cool about everything. Um you, it's, it's a, I don't know why I get so excited doing this part because if you do it right, it's seamless and beautiful and quiet. And it's like, yeah, this is the easiest thing in the world. Um, but everything can also go horribly at this, you know, at any moment. So, (laughs) um, there's a lot of different ways you can do it. I'm going to give you my process for, um, I'm either in a cult starting competition, or, you know, I'm I'm working with a horse where we just started this week, and we're getting the saddle on you. You can, of course, break all of this down into a hundred thousand million tiny steps and take your sweet time doing it. That's what I've done with this mare because that's what I felt she needed. Um, But uh, so as far as the cinch, before I put the saddle on, um, all the things that I need before uh, I have. I saddle the horse in order to keep me safe are I need some basic control of their feet. So they need, I, especially the hindquarters. I need to be able to send those hindquarters away. That horse needs to stand still while I desensitize them to various things. So usually before the saddle, I make sure that I've done the lead rope. I can throw the lead rope all around them and I've done work with the flag so I can rub them all over with the flag. Um, and then of course my hands. So they need to stand still for that. So I've done everything I need to get them to do to stand for that. Um, I also wanted some basic shoulder control. So if they step into me, I can say, "No, no, no, you need to step away. And I also need to be able to send them forward and around me. So I need to have some basic lunging skills because it is very important and vital to me when I saddle a horse that I can then move them around because a horse is not Truly understanding they're saddled until you've made them go around and move with that saddle. I like to walk, trot, and canter with them the first day. Sometimes I don't go that far, but they need to at least go forward some steps. Um, Because a lot of horses will stand for the saddle, but then not understand when they move that they've been saddled. And that's when things can go crazy. So I need those basic groundwork skills. Now, before I saddle the horse, whether I'm doing this in the first half hour or a colt starting competition, or I've worked for weeks on the groundwork, I have done a lot of, with my hands, with that lead rope, with the flag, rubbing them everywhere that saddle is going to go, all over their back, all over the area where the back cinch is going to go, behind their elbow, where the front cinch is going to go. I've run my hands under their belly. I've taken that rope, thrown the rope all over them. I've put the flag everywhere. So I'm telling the horse, Hey, something's going to go in this general area. I just want to let you know, that's going to be a thing. So be prepared. Um, and then with the lead rope, the final step before I'm like, let's saddle, throw the lead rope over their back. And then I will, um, reach, you know, and grab the end of the lead rope. Like I'm grabbing the girth. And the first thing I do is I connect that lead rope. So it's like a circle around their belly And I just lightly seesaw up and down. So I don't, I'm not tightening it. I'm just moving it up and down in that girth area. So they just feel the sensation, but without any tightness. If it's a saddle with the back cinch I'm using, I go back and forth their whole belly, except for the flank area, obviously, and let them know, hey, something's going to wrap around your belly just like this. And then I will go back to the front cinch area and I will start pulling that lead rope up like it's a girth. And I pull it up a little bit and make sure they stand and relax. And then I release and rub, then a little bit more, then a little bit more. And finally, I will tighten that lead rope girth like I am tightening it as hard as I ever will with a saddle. Like I just do that once. It's very gentle, but still extremely firm and let them know, hey, are you going to be okay with this? Because the saddle is not going to go this tight. But if you can handle this, you can handle the girth. So I do all of that. And then uh, when I get the saddle out, I have the saddle all set up, hopefully adjusted to where I think is going to fit the horse. And it's I have it sitting on the horn in the middle of the arena. I put the saddle blanket on top of that. I've usually done a little groundwork up to this point, not trying to tire the horse out, but just making sure they're listening and that they are accepting of standing still. Um, If they are a little antsy at this point, I'm not going to put the saddle on them. I'm going to do something with their feet and get them back to where they're standing and listening. I grab the saddle blanket, throw it halfway up a couple of times, and then I just plop it right on their back. Um, And then I will go and grab the saddle and I will stand at their shoulder. You want the lead rope, uh, you know, loose to where you're not holding or pulling them in place, but you need to have it short enough. So if all of a sudden they take off bucking, you have control. So you're not going to have just the lead rope sitting on the ground, not paying attention. And then I half throw the saddle up three times. And then when that third time, I put it over their back and I let it land as softly as I can. Now, here's with a Western saddle, at least is the most risky part. If at any point when I put that saddle on that horse, if they decide to move, they're like, I'm not okay with this. I pull the saddle and the pad off the horse. That way it doesn't hit the ground and scare them. And it's a very... Um, uh, purposeful, I'm removing the saddle from you. You are not removing the saddle from yourself. And then I, I repeat that if I have to, you know, throw it, all, throw it all up there again. But usually when I get to this point, they're not moving. I, I've i honed this to where I know what this horse is going to do. So usually I don't have to pull the saddle from them. but I'm always ready. My hand is always on the saddle when I'm adjusting anything so that if they take a step, they freak out, I pull it off. That keeps us both safe but I'm standing on the near side of the horse at this point, the left side. I have to go let down my cinch on the other side. So I have to walk around that horse. And for that split second, no one's got a hand on the saddle. So I just very calmly yet quickly, I'm going to let go of the saddle, walk around to the other side and put my hand on the saddle again. Same thing. If they move at any point, I pull that saddle off. Now, I don't just undo the cinches and then you know pull it up. I undo the cinch, gently let it hang, and then I will take the cinch and press it behind their elbow and let them know, here's the cinch. It's going to touch you here. And again, at any point, if the horse freaks out, I pull the saddle, everything's great. Then I go back to the other side and I run my hand down their belly and I make a very purposeful effort of putting my hand here you know, on their belly and saying, Hey, here, I'm messing in this area. Now I grab my cinch and I pull it gently, just like I did with the lead rope. So at this point I can still let go of that cinch, pull that saddle off. If anything goes haywire, and I'm going to pull that cinch up and release up and release a couple of times. So I haven't let down my latigo and attached anything yet. And if they're okay with that, okay, now I'm going to let down my latigo and I'm going to run it through the ring of the cinch and I'm just going to pull the end of my line to go up and down and up and down just a couple of times I'm just letting them know again if anything goes haywire at this point even if the saddle falls off it is not attached to them we're okay now I'm if everything goes well I'm going to take my first wrap now this is the point where you are committed you've got to get that cinch done up correctly and as quickly as possible without being jerky or nervous about it You just need, you know, once you take that first wrap, now that thing's pretty much attached and you need to get it adjusted properly so that if they move, it doesn't go under their belly because that can cause all sorts of chaos and trauma. So I take my first wrap and I take a second wrap. Usually I take a three wraps with a colt. So if that latigo breaks or, you know, it's still going to stay, that saddle's still going to stay on them long enough for me to get the horse stopped and get everything fixed. so I do the girth up just enough, and this is something you hone over time, that if the horse bucks right now, that saddle's probably still going to stay in the middle of their back, but not so tight that you're encouraging them to react and get scared. So I do the saddle and cinch up, and then I immediately will back away and go way out in front of the horse. I have a 14-foot lead rope I do this with, and... Um, And then there's a whole process I do from there that involves moving the horse out in a gentle way and getting getting them to understand the thing. Um, So again, you can break this down into 400 million little steps and take as many weeks or months as you want doing it. There is no problem with that. If it's a situation for whatever reason, maybe the horse is only here a week or, you know, I've started colts with other people before where we're getting them all, we're putting 10 rides on them in these couple of weeks. So we're moving pretty quick. That's how I do it. Um, But everything, no matter how fast I've moved, I've prepared that horse. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. So that when the thing finally does happen, the horse should, and I've never had it, knock on wood, go badly. The horse should be
1: prepared for it. That's a lot going on there. Yeah, it's really fun. I enjoy it. There we go. That about wraps it up for today. We're plain old running out of time. I'm sitting here watching... Hurricane Nicole blow past our front door, but power's still on, so we're good to go. Oh, I didn't even know you guys were dealing with a hurricane. Hurricane Nicole is blowing by as we speak, but it looks oh, like we're just, she's not a really giant, threatening, horrible storm. They're going to get really wet along the coast again. So hopefully, fingers crossed, everybody's has got their hatches battened down. So when people want to follow Mary Kitzmiller online, or have you come out to do a clinic or have some help with their horse training? How are they gonna do that?
2: You can find me on Facebook, Mary Kitzmiller Miller Horsemanship is my business page, and Mary Kay Kitzmiller Miller is my personal page.
1: Dun, dun dun and horses in the morning will be back again tomorrow with another show. So see you later.